Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. Get ready for 100 years of wrestling history as told by the stud. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast and the man who changed the podcasting world, with the Super Stud Cast, we step back into the ring, back into time. He is the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. What's up, Ron? Oh, man, uh, just doing, doing, well, not not as beautiful as it usually is, I got to say that, but uh, we're kind of uh, expecting a little bit of the remains of the hurricane here to come through today, and uh, it's not as usually uh, as beautiful as it is. No blue sky today, but... Uh, <laughs> You got to have a little rain in every life sometimes, and I think it's going to do good. Uh, does good for all of us, man. So it's a uh, still beautiful, still beautiful. Clouds are hanging over the mountains uh, in a really, really uh, beautiful way. Kind of, kind of smoky looking. Yeah. Uh, really smoky looking for for uh, these mountains, even though they're called the Smoky Mountains. They're yeah. extremely smoky looking today. I know you said it before, but it's like every morning you wake up, it's a different view, a different look, and you're in the same spot. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, man. They, they never look at them, and they're never <laughs> the same t- twice. Hey, we so, had some uh, uh, we had some excitement last night, of course, because we had the tropical storm. Was it Fred? What's the name? Fred came through here, and then I had I had an uncle out in Texas texting me, "Is everything okay?" The the Weather Channel is in Dothan, so <laughs> we it wasn't Jim Cantore, thank goodness, but there was a guy from the Weather Channel, and I think uh, I think it's Mike Seidel who was here, and so people around Dothan were really excited, some too excited because the guy from the Weather Channel is here. Now, that, <laughs> now if it were Cantore, you better duck and cover. But this was Mike. Oh, yeah, would have stopped traffic, man. Yeah, but <laughs> this was Mike Zidell, and it was really n- nothing more than a rain event. We had a lot of rain. We had some wind, but that was about it. So we said here, our our cable was fine last night. The internet was fine. For a second, I thought we would have to have a conversation, my wife and I. But fortunately, we stayed away from that. So anyway, we kept the TV on and the power on, and th- we're glad that part's over. So and and only a few limbs down in the yard. So you guys, you guys are like on the fringes of it right yeah yeah we're just going to get the rain and uh, i don't think we'll have anything beyond that much and uh you know and we we got a really great uh, studcast here today man uh, a whole lot going on in this one uh and uh some some really good news at the end you know i'm, I'm really going to try to do something special next week hmm. so uh 
So uh, I, I'm ready, my man. Let's just jump right into her. Hey, I know you're excited and you got a lot to talk about. So let's start. Let's let's begin the studcast with with a quick look back at last Sunday's newest exclusive on YouTube's Southeastern Rewind. It was the first episode of the USA TV show that you and Gordon Soley hosted, and I was really amazed at the quality of the production and video, and I think we're talking 1988, 33 years after recording it, and it still looked great. So it was really full of great talent and can you give us some of the, some of the other names that were on there, Stud? Yeah, man. Uh, of course I can. Uh, you know, and uh, and I was like you, man. I, I was watching it again. I don't know. You may not have ever seen one of these USA shows. I, I don't think I have. No. Yeah. So uh, you know, and I hadn't seen this 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 show in thirty three years. You know, and uh, and I was kind of like you, man. I was astounded, man, about the quality of the video and the production itself. And uh, the talent on there was truly amazing, man. The show opened up with Bullet Bob Armstrong, and uh, you had the Mongolian Stomper on there. You had Moondog Rex on there. You had their manager, Ron Wright, the guy that we've talked about, I don't know how many times on these studcasts, yeah. man. And people got to actually see Ron Wright do an interview, <laughs> and they're going to see a whole lot more of those. Uh, they had uh, Austin Idol was on that show. Uh, Bill Dundee was on it. Buddy Landell, Hector Guerrero, man of the famous Guerrero family, world's strongest man, and I mean literally the world's strongest man. Doug Furness, uh, former UT football player. Uh, wow, what a tremendous athlete he was on that show. Uh, the Rock and Roll RPMs was a the Party Boys, Scott Armstrong, Johnny Rich, and Davey Rich. Yep. Brickhouse Brown was on that show. It was like, wow, the, and the list just goes on and on. Uh, it was really, really a, an amazing thing to, to watch it back again. There were some I was very familiar with and some that were new to me. But anyway, I thought it was really cool. And I think a lot of people are not going to realize that the technical aspects as, aspects of the whole production uh, were way ahead of their time in that particular day and age. The entire series, by the way, 25 USA shows was shot by a famous production company out of Birmingham. Their huge TV production truck, you told me, drove to Birmingham uh, from Birmingham to Knoxville, parked outside the Knoxville Coliseum Ballroom, and then did an amazing job on that very first show. I bet you had some bucks hooked into that. Oh, well, you know, I mean, it, it, it's pretty expensive when you get those trucks. And this <laughs> was one of the very first big trucks that was around, man, in 1988. And wow, but they did a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, they didn't do just a fantastic job on that opening show. They did a fantastic job on all 25 of these shows that we're going to be showing. And that Coliseum Ballroom, man, it was just perfect. It was about three times the size of a TV, TV studio. We could hold uh, maybe as many as 200 or more people, and uh, you know they 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 got a they got a lot more man. Uh, a lot more was going uh, on in this production than there was in that 1978 southeastern TV show that we just recently showed on the YouTube channel. Uh, just the production quality and everything else. So back then, you know, we were ahead of our time. Uh, you know, even on that 1978 show, we had instant replay. But on this one, they got 
slow-mo instant replay, man. Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're really cranking it. Uh, not only that, I noticed <laughs> in this show, there was a video of the week special. There was a personality profile. They had great graphics, an outstanding opening, a tremendous close. And, um, man, too many other things for me to even remember. I was really blown away by the quality of what we were doing in 1988 with USA Wrestling. Yeah, and, and a lot of, of course, you're talking, a lot of that is TV talk, and a lot of folks won't realize what went into that show, but it, it is definitely there, and it's definitely what made it a lot more enjoyable for folks back then, even, even though they had no idea what they were really looking at as far as the technical aspects. All right, and there's something else being done on your YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel, Ron, that is a first besides showing the TV shows in their exact order of production. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it turns out, man, in a little bit of the discussions I've had with other people and other old-time promoters, that uh, I may be the only promoter in history uh, to follow each of their TV shows a few days later with a review that's a, kind of a behind-the-scenes uh, review uh, I did one uh, less than I for that 1978 Southeastern show, and uh, and we're going to do one for every one of these uh, USA shows, uh, less than I. And uh, you know, Les Thatcher, you know, was a big part of Southeastern Knoxville, and, uh, and 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 was commentator for a little bit in Southeastern Pensacola. And uh, you know, uh, these these reviews are going to become really really popular. In fact, uh, they're going to be called the Thatcher Fuller Follow Up Show, <laughs> and uh, we're going to be uh, following up each one of these USA shows uh, within a couple of days, two or three days later. We'll have a review show. That uh, the last review show we did on this first one on the, on the 1978 Southeastern show, I had almost as many viewers as the show itself. So wow! Wow! It's, uh, so really, really going to be something uh, different for fans. Oh, no doubt. And with you and Les coming on behind the shows, uh, as you said a few days later, it's you're going to help a lot of folks who may not have realized because we've lost a lot of folks. Of course, the legendary bullet Bob Armstrong is gone now. And so you guys can talk about who's still here and who's gone, including the histories, the matches, the angles, the storyline, and even where the ideas originally came from. And a lot of those, obviously, I would think came from you. Similar to what you do now on every Studcast, but you're going to be breaking it all down on the actual TV shows on YouTube, right? Yeah, pretty crazy. You know, I mean, and it is very similar to what I do on the studcast. We break it down a week at a time, basically. And now on these, I'm going to be breaking down a show at a time, Les and I both. And Les has a lot of experience with not just Southeastern, but uh, with all the shows that uh, he's, he knows very a great deal about everything we have done. And, uh, you know, man, uh, you're really with it, man. You and uh, Mr. Pickles are off galloping to glory already today, man. You're pretty much exactly right, man. Uh, we're going to do something that's never been done, you know. And I was the actual creator, the booker, and the owner of these three wrestling companies' TV shows. We're just in USA right now, but we're also going to show some Southeastern. We're going to do the Continental shows. And uh, all those shows come from the old school days. And I'm going to dissect, man, and explain every show as it right after it airs. And, uh, 
And I think these Thatcher Fuller follow-up shows are going to be just as popular as the actual shows. So fans are going to get the best education in wrestling history of exactly what was behind old school wrestling that made it so captivating for fans. And I'm wondering, too, because you were the booker, you were the owner and the promoter, was it intimidating for the wrestlers with you sitting right there as a host, a co-host with Gordon Soley? Was it, was it any different for, for the wrestlers? Because you're the big boss man in this case. Well, I hope it did. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to see them all go out there and do the best they could, by golly, and uh, give the fans the best they could. And I think I got that pretty much every show, and uh, we sure yeah. got it on this first one. And uh, we're looking forward to the next one. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, today's training, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to jump on into man to today's show. I'm really fired up about this one, Dave. We've got a good one today. All right, awesome. And another reminder for, for Studcast fans. If you, if you really want to be a part of wrestling history, history, subscribe now at YouTube Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell, and then we'll ring your bell every time one of these unique opportunities airs for your education. All right, Stud, I know you're ready. So where to today? Well, our today's training is going to be uh, another kind of a different ride than usual. Uh, we're going to be seeing some some things uh, from a booker and a wrestler's perspective in this one. And uh, we're going to be dealing in this one with my own family and uh, and encouraging entrepreneurship beyond the ring, man. Uh, so uh, we're going to discuss the first week in August of 1977. Uh, we're going to talk about August the 5th, to be exact. It's in Knoxville's Chilhowee Park Amphitheater. It's got two championship matches on this one. One of them has Bob Armstrong in the corner of Joe Duke, And uh, Joe Duke is in another one of those crazy matches with the Mongolian Stomper, man. So, uh, so we have a great TV to talk about in this one today, the results of the card and the attendance for the event. And, uh, and our learning tree question today is why the assassin, Jody Hamilton, uh, wrestled in Continental as the flame and not the assassin? Hmm. All right. That'll be interesting. That'll be a lot of fun. So you listen, you got a plate full today. So when, where do we ride to first? What, what's up now? Okay. Well, let's, let's jump into that. Today's training. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a great one Dave. but uh, a member of the family is coming home in this one. Uh, he's scheduled for just a short visit, but once he gets there, man, his burning desire to be more than just a wrestler is, is just, it's a lesson for everybody, man, in, in this particular training. Uh, he's not satisfied with just getting in the ring and, and doing something there that's good. Uh, he, he wants to really uh, get more highly involved. So this one kind of is about sometimes, you know, as a booker, you kind of figure when you get a wrestler coming in what spot you're going to put him in. Sometimes he's going to be on the bottom of the card, middle of the card, or the top of the card. But, uh, you know, sometimes you bring in one of these guys like this relative of mine that uh, I expect is not going to make it past the, uh, the opening matches of, of each card. But then all of a sudden, man, they end up uh, becoming a lot more than what you expected they were going to become. You know, it's, it's kind of like the fickle finger of fate, I'm going to call this particular uh, uh, today's <laughs> training. Because, uh, you know... This one's kind of a tale of a booker and a wrestler and how some guys make themselves more important than you ever planned for them to be. 
So on today's studcast, this wrestler we're talking about is Roy Lee Welch. And uh, the, he had appeared for me on some cards in the first year when, when I started 1974 Southeastern Wrestling. He and his brother, Jackie, uh, wrestled for me a little bit in uh, late 74 and a little bit in early 75. And uh, they were both family members, obviously, part of that long line of Welch wrestlers. You know, they were the sons of my grandfather, Roy's youngest brother, whose name was Lester. And Lester named his second son after two family members. He named him Roy, which was his oldest brother. And his middle name was Lee. And that happened to be a first cousin of his, one of the Fields brothers. Hmm. So that's how Roy Lee became Roy Lee. I mean, it's kind of an odd name in a way, but uh, he's named after two family members. So let's begin this today's training with this with a short history lesson about one member of my family. And that wrestler and promoter was Lester Wells. Uh, he was one of the owners of Georgia Championship Wrestling back in the early 1970s. And uh, Lester got to be that owner by trading his interest in the Florida Territory, where he'd been working for years with Eddie Graham, to my father. Uh, for my father's interest in the Georgia Territory in 1972. They actually traded territories, homes, uh, horses, cows, farms, uh, everything, right? I mean, they, they made a huge deal in which Dad ended up going to Florida and Lester ended up coming to Georgia. And soon after Lester got involved in Georgia, there was a, he had a partner named Ray Gunkel and Ray had a wife named Ann and, uh, they were the other major owners of that Georgia company, and uh, they kind of decided that they were going to take the company away from Lester. So that led to one of the most famous wrestling wars in American professional wrestling history, the War for Atlanta. And I discussed mm. that war in depth in Studcast number 62, 63, and 64. Mm. It took me three Studcasts to uh, really get to the bottom of this this uh, Atlanta war. And I managed basically to change history in those three episodes. The internet basically said that Lester was the heel and that he was responsible for it. But within those three episodes, I pretty much proved that he was, it was just the opposite, that he was not. So, uh, so Lester in 1974, he was bought out of that company. Uh, he, was, he, he struggled in that big war in Atlanta for about two years, and he was bought out by Australian promoter Jim Barnett, who came to America, wanted to get involved with Turner and that TV that he had, and he bought Lester out. Lester and his sons left wrestling after that deal was made with Barnett, and uh, that was about the time in 1974 that I started Southeastern Wrestling. They were strip mining coal in the mountains just west of Knoxville, oddly enough, about 40 miles west of Knoxville, they were strip mining coal. And uh, I started to use them. Uh, I brought them both in, uh, both Jackie and Roy Lee. And uh, I used them uh, for a short period of time. And then once uh, they disappeared uh, from Southeastern, they kind of disappeared from wrestling. So my brother Rob and I, you know, we talked. And Rob was always very close with Roy Lee. So we talked... Uh, in 1977, the summer of 77, about trying to get Roy Lee back into wrestling. 
he was struggling and uh, not doing well. And so we set him up to come into the territory and uh, he's going to be on this card packed in today's studcast. And we brought him in, uh, you know, to, uh, to just use underneath as an opening match guy, but uh, things are going to change. So on this August the 5th, 1977 card that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, Roy Lee would be making his return to wrestling, but definitely with no long-term plans by me or Rob as the bookers for his future. You know, he was just going to try to come back and see how he could do. And, uh, you know, this is one of the great stories, Dave, that, that I always seem to be kind of in the middle of somehow. You know, <laughs> it's like a sh- short-term helping hand for a family member who mm-hmm. was down and out, and it turns into a bright future for him, man. Uh, and he takes the shot at this comeback as a wrestler, and he makes a much bigger spot for himself. Uh, and not only Southeastern and Knoxville, but also in the company that I'm going to be opening in the next six months of this stud cast. I mean, we're going week by week. Within six months from now, he's going to be involved in another wrestling territory. So he's on the opening match for about the first six weeks in Southeastern. And uh, Roy Lee wasn't a big guy. He was only about 5'10". He was probably barely 200 pounds at that. But he had great wrestling skills, learned from his dad. Uh, and he had a big heart, a no-quit heart, man, that fans were just really drawn to. And except for his first match, uh, which he's not going to win in those first six, six weeks, uh, he he's going to win the rest of them, five in a row. And he's going to... Uh, He's going to turn sure defeat on a lot of these matches into some kind of strange and unexpected move that actually wins matches for him. And fans begin to not just get behind him, but they get so into him that they start pushing him toward the top. (laughs) I I can't, and me and Rob, we can't put him on the opening matches anymore because he's working his way up the card. (laughs) So, and that's pretty strange. I mean, he didn't have the, the size. Uh, you wouldn't expect that the crowd was going to get into him like they did. So, so, but really, this story is much more than that. Uh, Dave, the, he's going to, uh, he's going to make, uh, make, uh, he's going to move far beyond his just his wrestling ability alone. You know, and I'd never really wanted to expand my income uh, beyond the crowds that I was drawing at the box office. Uh, I, I never sold souvenirs as a company. I never sold programs or, or there wasn't any other income stream I was interested in. Hmm. I didn't have enough people to help me as it was. I was constantly busy and I didn't have time to do all those things. So Roy Lee, within the first couple of weeks he was there, he began to change all that. He approached me and, and uh, about starting the sale of programs throughout the territory. Huh. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I knew that programs were great for wrestling promotions, but we'd gone uh, three years at this point without any program. And this last year in 1977, we're drawing these five, 6,000 a night crowds in Knoxville alone, drawing as much as 20,000 people a week uh, in the southeastern area. Uh, it made a lot of sense. And 
when he started discussing the program with me, I was thinking that, you know, it's going to be a single page thing, one on one to line up on one side and something else on yeah. the back. Yeah. Instead, he had big ideas. He had a, he wanted to do an eight page fantastic program with photos, write ups and stories that went deep inside what was actually happening every week in Southeastern. Uh, he, he was going to do a program that pushed the angles that highlighted them, and it greatly enhanced the product that was Southeastern Wrestling. I couldn't say no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, how do you say no to that? When he kind of sinks himself into it and lays it out for you, you're standing there going, "Uh, okay, well, uh, okay. So, But how how did the programs do? Well, they were a fabulous success. I mean, you know, uh, he he laid out a tremendous program, uh, Wow, it was beautiful. And he, and then he came to me when he had it all done, and he showed me his first, his first, uh, uh, his press, the first one off the press. Mm-hmm. And he says uh, I, he wanted to get my approval, and I was like totally blown away. I was like, Roy, this is a, one of the greatest programs, wrestling programs I've ever seen. Wow. And uh, so he says to me, he says, Ron, he says, uh, I, I, would you split the profits with me? Wow. <laughs> and he, he was doing all the work and everything else. You know? So, so, and, and I said, I said, no. <laughs> okay. All right. I think I know the answer, but captain obvious here asking why. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I looked at the program and I was sold on the fact that, uh, this program, uh, was going to help my company to grow even more in the future, you know? And, uh, and I always love those people that have this entrepreneur spirit about them. Mm-hmm. And I, I love people that can take an idea and run with it and make it not only work, but become something very special. So I told him, no, no, I don't want any part of it, Roy. You keep it all. I said, but you make it this good continually. Wow. And it, it just got better and better. So with, within a couple of weeks, he was up and running. He had an organization of employees that went to every city every night where we were wrestling, and they sold these programs. <laughs> uh, with, and nobody ever knew that he was the guy behind the production of these programs. <laughs> so we were keeping that old kayfabe, Dave. You know that was so important back in the day. You didn't want you you didn't want fans to know that you had a wrestler that was doing the program. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, any more than they want, I wanted them to know that I owned the company. Yeah. So, so Roy Lee basically had gone from a first match wrestler, uh, if like most uh, most of them didn't have any interest uh, in going any further in the business, to being an integral part of the company. And uh, and we're gonna come back to this subject. Uh, I think next week, Dave. As a matter of fact. Uh, to follow up on this, you know, and he's going to work his way into part ownership of one of the best territories in history. Are you, I mean, are you kidding? And it all began with a program. Yeah, it all began with a program. (laughs) I found out he had so much more talent than that. Yeah. Uh, he actually is going to end up owning part of Southeastern Pensacola. All right. Listen, that, that's cool. And you said you're going to address it later, but I have questions like, uh, what did it cost him to do the program? How much did he charge for the program? So was it a real money-making opportunity? Was it eight pages like you, you were talking about earlier? But anyway, I assume you're going to address that 
down the line. But that's pretty cool that Roy Lee found a little niche and he stuck with it and wrote it out. That's a great story, Rod. All right, and, and you have so many. That's the cool thing. So just when you think there can't be any more, you tell something really wonderful like that and really a, a, a cool story about Roy Lee. So where are we writing to next, Ron? Well, let's give everybody the card for Friday night, August the 5th, 1977, in the amphitheater in Knoxville. The opening match on this card was Tony Mars against George McCrary. Uh, the Welch from the from this today's training, Roy Lee, is going to be in the second match, and he's against the wily veteran from Australia, Al Costello, man, who uh, who is a great old wrestler. He's he's got some age on him at this point, but he can still do it. The third match was the third week in a row that Tony Charles was going to wrestle the pro Doug Gilbert. Uh, their matches had just been amazing, man. And the fans, I think the fans could have gone another six weeks and, and watched these guys every night and still been happy with it. Uh, and this particular match is a no time limit and a no disqualification. There's two title matches on this card. Bob Armstrong and Robert are going, they get, they're going to get another Southeastern tag, tag match shot with the champions, Mr. Knoxville, who's Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Orton Jr., and this one is a no DQ and a no time limit. And Robert and Bob had been disqualified the week before with both Mr. Knoxville and Orton bleeding pretty badly, man. Uh, so, uh, you know, they had an opportunity to win it, and, uh, and they lost by disqualification. So the main event on this card is going to be the match that fans were now looking forward to, man, every time it popped up on their screen when, uh, when they were watching TV. Uh, Joe LaDuke was going to step back in the ring again with the Mongolian Stomper. They're going to wrestle for the belt. Gorgeous George Jr. is going to be in the Stomper's corner. But this time, in Joe's corner, is going to be Bob Armstrong. <laughs> All right, so Bob Armstrong's doing double duty, it looks like. A championship match, and then as a manager... Another great card. Absolutely. So I bet it's time for the TV show. Let me hit my Wayback Machine. Saturday, July 30th, 1977. All right, so we have, we've had four weeks of TVs in the rating period of July. So what, what are you going to do with this one, Ron? Well, man, you're getting to know the trail, Dave. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> wow, you, you're setting the pace, so. The difference between you and the fans back in that day, though, Dave, about the rating period is the fact that they didn't know nothing about the rating periods. You know, I mean, stations couldn't advertise right. it. Yeah. Because yeah. if they did, that's going to skew the numbers, yep. right? Yep. And also, yep. they weren't. <laughs> and so they couldn't go, hey, look, uh, in July, you need to watch us as much as you can. You know, <laughs> but to answer your question, uh, I'm still going to give the fans, oh, great TV whether it's in the rating period or not, because that was just the, the way I like to do it, man. So the TV opened with less and opened into one of those tight shots again uh, with him running down the card for the day. And then when the cameras backed away, there he sat with gorgeous George Jr., Mongolian stomper, belt around his waist, his big old, uh, his big old tire shock. You know, truck shock, uh, he was just pumping it away, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, on the screen then, the big still shot on the screen behind the three of them 
was the shot of me, pretty pretty bloody man, uh, being held by Gorgeous George Jr. And Stomper was really hitting me with a big shot in the face. Mm-hmm. So uh, Gorgeous George, man, he was in a much better mood than he'd been since the week Bob Armstrong had him doing all those nasty jobs. He finally started to get his mojo back. And uh, even though he had a bandage over his left eye, compliments of me from the night before in the video that uh, was on the screen. You know, I got to pop him, and uh, and I got him bleeding a little bit. So uh, he welcomed less. He was so so happy about things that he welcomed less <laughs> instead of vice versa, instead of less <laughs> welcoming him. Yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> Yeah, and, and then right off the bat, he asked Liz if it was true that that Ron Fuller, you know, if, if, if I had a dis- concussion from the match the night before. And he said he and his stomper were really sorry about that injury, you know, and, and then they both laughed about it real big time. So obviously they weren't too sorry about it. So, so he went back immediately to the still shot behind him, and he asked the director to back up the video, just like he was in charge now, he's taking less spot, you know, and he, he says, hey, can you back that video up? And uh, he says, so the fans can see what I did to Ron Fuller last night, you know, with that five minutes he wanted with me. <laughs> so then the director backed it up, but he went a little further than Gigi wanted. Uh, he went back to where Gigi was in the ring illegally and uh, trying to hit me, and I ducked and he hit his stomper with something he had in his hand. And I was already bleeding at this point, and I fell on the stomper, and I pinned him, and the gorgeous George was falling all over himself and they couldn't get me off of, off of the stomper, and I beat the stomper, so I got the five minutes with George. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so let, George didn't want to show that part of it. He just wanted to show how he was beating me, and I was all bloody. So Les pointed out everything that was happening, you know, and as the bell rang again to start that five minutes, immediately after I pinned him, George, you know, I was already, I was still down. I was bleeding. I, that had, the stomper had done a pretty good job on me. And George, man, he just jumped right on me. He still had that object that he hit the stomper with accidentally, and he started to use it on me. So, you know. And then GG, you know, he's watching it and he's got me bloody and he's beating the heck out of me, man, pretty good. And then he, he's explaining to, to Les how stupid I was to want five minutes with him. <laughs> him being the great wrestler he was. Well, of course. Was yeah. I a fool, man, to yeah. ask for five minutes with him, right? What were you thinking? Good God. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> you know, he, he was having fun. He's really enjoying himself, man. And he's watching the video. But then all of a sudden, I started to make a comeback. You know, and then Les throws it right back at him, and he asks him, you know, about about all his time in the ring. Uh, you know, why wouldn't it? Why wasn't he doing so well then? All of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. did you kind of shut up? He, he, he didn't want to talk much about that part. <laughs> so Les was still in control of the conversation, you know, and uh, I'm beating the heck out of Gigi at this point. The five minutes isn't up. But Stomper, who had been rolled out and had been laying beside the ring for the entire time, this this uh, five-minute overtime, he sees that Gigi's getting the hell beat out of him, and he comes in to save him. And, boy, they start to work on me, both of them. And uh, the fans, man, in the stands, uh, especially the ringside, where they were close to the ring, 
they started to come from the ring, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, and he, he began, to, you know, the, so Gigi took control. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, Joe Duke's back there watching, and he sees that we're about to have a riot. So he comes to the ring, and uh, you know, so uh, Les points that out that uh, you know that Joe didn't actually come to my defense. You know, and Gigi says right away when he sees Joe hit the ring, he goes, he goes, tell me why that ugly lumberjack is in there, man. <laughs> why, what, what, what's his, what's his deal? Mm-hmm. Uh, he come to Ron Fuller's defense, and the less pointed out the fact that uh, you know if Joe hadn't come, he goes, uh, you can see all these ringsiders <laughs> that are standing up. A lot of them with chairs in their hands, about to come to the ring. He goes, you should be happy to see Joe <laughs> rather than the big crowd. And then Gigi popped off uh, the, the, you know, he said, I could handle a hundred fans by myself and my stomper, a thousand of them, you know? <laughs> so Gigi's having himself some fun that day. And uh, so Les cuts him short and he announced to Gigi and the crowd that Southeastern deficient, the officials had decided that uh, uh, his stomper was going to be in the ring, who he was stomper was going to have to wrestle the next Friday night. And it was going to be a championship match. So Gigi's he's really he's really uh, enjoying himself. He's smiling, and he says to Les, "So what? I don't care." And Les announced that the Stomper is going to be facing Joe LaDuke. So the studio popped, and Gigi just kept smiling, you know. And he announced, you know, Les then announced that Joe LaDuke would also have a manager in his corner. Gigi, you know, um, Gigi will be in his corner, and then he announced that. Uh, that, uh, but so was Joe LaDuke going to have a manager in his corner. Oh. So Gigi's face kind of dropped, man, like a rock off a cliff, man. <laughs> his face fell on the floor, basically, and uh, and then Les hit him with the news. He Who's told it? him that Bob Armstrong, oh. was the man Southeastern officials, were going to put in Joe LaDuke's corner. One of one of Gigi's favorite people, of, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> after, after all these horrible things Bob had done to him, now he's going to be standing across the ring from him, looking at Gigi. So the studio exploded when they heard Bob was going to be in there. So Gigi jumped from his seat, man. He started screaming, man. They can't do that to us. You know, uh, Armstrong doesn't have a manager's license from the Tennessee Athletic Commission. He said, I know that for a fact. It takes 30 days to get one. And he's never been a manager. So Gigi pointed his stomper toward the ring. And he said something that and no, nobody could understand, what, uh, whatever the command was. But, <laughs> boy, the stomper headed for the ring. He was scheduled in the first match anyway. And, boy, there was two unlucky guys waiting for the merciless Mongol to hit the ring, man. And it didn't take long before Phil Rainey was on the run again, as always, when the stomper came into the ring. <laughs> and the bell sounded, uh, and there was no introduction to the match. <laughs> Rainy, Rainy was already in Studio B. He took off. So the Stomper man, he was on a rampage at this point, as usual, though, and he destroyed both of these opponents uh, at the same time in a matter of minutes. They never tagged in or out. He never gave him a chance to do anything, actually. <laughs> and then once he finished them off, Gigi went into the ring. And he didn't go in there to stomp, to stop the Stomper. He went in there to discourage his monster from stopping. He sent him back to beat him, stomp him some more, right? <laughs> he even got in a couple of stomps himself. And then the referee had already raised the stomper's hand. Then the referee rang the bell again, and he disqualified him. 
He tried to raise the boys' hands that were laying on the mat, but they weren't able to raise their hands. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so uh, Stomper and uh, Gigi, they just they kept uh, pummeling them for a little bit until they got tired, and then they left the ring. But neither of the two guys that was in the match, not only could they, couldn't they raise their hands, they couldn't even get to their feet. They had to be helped out of the ring. Wow. So Joe LaDuke, he joined Les at the set after the carnage of the first match, and he was there, obviously, for the first interview, and Gigi and his stomper were in Studio B. Joe was obviously very happy to have another title shot, very happy, to, you know, that, you know, let's ask him uh, if uh, Bob Armstrong had a manager's license because Gigi made that point, and, uh, and Joe was quite honest. He, he told Les, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, he goes, I guess, you know, I mean, he didn't, he really, he really didn't know that much about it because mm. he had never been a manager either. And he'd never tried to get a manager's license from the athletic commission. So it kind of left Gigi in the driver's seat. So uh, when, when uh, Les threw it to Studio B, uh, they were all laughing, both, um, both the uh, Stomper and Gigi having a big laugh. And uh, they were promising him, they promised uh, Joe LaDuke and Les Thatcher that uh, that uh, Gigi says he was absolutely sure that Bob Armstrong was not going to be in the corner of Joe LaDuke because it takes 30 days to get a manager's license in Tennessee. And then he said his stomper was going to be able to focus totally on that ignorant lumberjack and that his stomper was going to crush LaDuke like a giant Mongolian tree falling on the idiot. And that was going to be the end of Joe LaDuke's matches with the Stomper. He wasn't going to get any more after that. So uh, Al Costello, mm. uh, that ended the first interview. And then Al Costello won half of the former AWA's tag champions and uh, won and, and one of the great teams of all time, the Fabulous Kangaroos, Kangaroos, was always recognized as one of the best wrestlers out there, man. He really, really had great wrestling skills. Mm. He was in the second match. And he won easily, and he went to the set with Les to do the second interview. And he was wrestling another newcomer, the one I we just talked about in the uh, today's training, Roy Lee Welch, the following Friday. But he didn't say a single word about Roy Lee. He reminded Les that the fabulous Kangaroos had won tag belts all over the world, and that no man alive knew more about tag team wrestling than he did. He reminded Les that he and his partner Don Kent. They'd been in tournament in Southeastern two months earlier. And uh, he told Les, uh, you know, that his partner was just no longer as healthy as he used to be. And he had no further use for him. <laughs> that he disbanded the greatest tag team in the world, his own tag team, to manage the greatest tag team in the world. So, uh, and that he was in the Southeastern <laughs> area for only one reason. He had never witnessed, he said, the Les... The, the greatest young tag team combination he had ever seen eight weeks ago. Hmm. said, uh, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Wharton Jr. Uh, were the greatest young team he had ever seen and that he was there in Southeastern to make them his team and to lead those guys, not just to the Southeastern Tag Team Championship, but to the World Tag Team Championship. And wow. they had all the components necessary to be the best team in the world. And that was where he intended to take them. 
Wow. All right. That's pretty interesting right there. And almost everyone had heard of the fabulous kangaroos back in those days. I wonder what Mr. Knoxville and, and Bob Orton Jr. thought about that. But we're going to take a break. But before we do, remember to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. And make sure you tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. All right, Ron, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with the personality profile that is coming up when this stud cast continues. The stud has many great souvenirs in his stud store. The newest item is the original Tennessee stud mask worn by him for many years. It's made with the same cloth as the original mask. The same hand cut from real leather, initials, horse heads, and facial outline. Everything is then hand sewn to the mask and you can find it at tnstud.com stud store. Ron's great book, Brutus, has taken the world by storm at amazon.com brutus novel or autographed by the stud himself at tnstud.com stud store and the southeastern continental dvd five pack it has a five star rating from hundreds of happy customers at tnstud.com stud store four great photos of the stud autographed by the stud at tnstud.com stud store hey check it out at the stud store open 24 7 365 and check out all the other great things on the studs website at tnstud.com and thanks for your support hey welcome back in it's david summers on another stud cast thanks for hanging out with us here with the tennessee stud ron fuller and don't forget southeastern rewind on youtube subscribe ring the bell get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling are gonna appear on youtube and you will not miss a thing be sure to tell your friends about southeastern rewind so many new things are happening there we're going to be finding out some more of those new things before this show ends all right the stud cast continues and let's talk about the personality profile stud what do you say well this one is a good one it's got bob armstrong and robert in it and uh they joined list uh and uh they watched the video uh, as their potential victory uh to win the Southeastern Tag Championship they'd been working for so long, kind of let they kind of slipped away from them. Uh, they had Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., both of them bleeding, and they they were beaten before they got themselves disqualified. They they had them, they had them, it was done, and they got a little carried away, and uh, and I think one of them shoved the referee, and uh, that was all it took uh, for no reason, and basically. They lost their opportunity to become the tag champions. So when the video finished, they said, uh, you know, they really had to thank the Southeastern officials, tell them how much they appreciated the officials giving them another shot at the belt. And this time they were definitely going to come away with the title, you know. So let's finish by asking Bob if he did indeed have a manager's license so that he could be in Jola Duke's corner the next Friday night. And Bob told him to send Gorgeous George Jr. a message. Uh, he said, let's send Gorgeous George Jr. a message from me that he should come to Studio B for the last interview of the show. I think he's going he's gonna to be very surprised. Oh, nice. Okay. So he sets up uh, you know, later in the show for the last interview a little spot with Gigi. So third match was the pro. Uh, out there again showing his strength, man. And uh, 
they put one of these young guys to sleep. He, he seemed to always have young opponent, and he put this young guy to sleep, and uh, and then he started ragdolling him, man, like he did uh, uh, everybody that he had the opportunity to, and he took it too far, got himself disqualified. So uh, after he got disqualified, he dropped his opponent, and then he just hit the referee. I mean, he's already disqualified. Why not? So. And then he went back and jerked up this little lifeless youngster man and put the sleeper hold on him again and started the ragdoll routine all over again, swinging him and uncontrollably around the ring. Uh, and that went on until Tony Charles came down, got in the ring, and when he did, Pro made a pretty hasty retreat. And this TV star audience, you know, they, they, they wanted to see him how to go at it. But, uh, you know, that wasn't going to happen until the following Friday night. So Tony interviewed at the set with the pro in Studio B, and it was obvious that this was now a real rivalry between these two guys. It was the third week in a row, and uh, that uh, it got a little more uh, uh, violent, I guess is the way to put it, uh, each week. And uh, by the time this third week goes down, uh, it was probably going to be really something nasty between the two of them uh, the following Friday night. So Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., they closed out the show. And wow, it was another one of those horrifying endings that uh, Mr. that they were given fans every time they were on TV. Mr. Knoxville jumped off the top rope and uh, one of the opponent's throat. And Bob Orton Jr., same time was applying his backbreaker to the other one. And then Mr. Knoxville kind of backed away from his foe, uh, didn't, didn't cover him. And Bob Orton Jr. Uh, walked over and dumped his guy uh, right straight on his head on top of the one that was laying there. They put their feet on the, both of them's chest and they got the three count. And all of a sudden, here comes Al Costello, man. He just bolts up into the ring from out of nowhere. And he runs over and tries to raise their hands. And they kind of just shoved him out of the way. You know, they ignored him, basically. And they went into Studio B for the last interview. And uh, Gigi, uh, he joined them, you know, because Bob Armstrong had requested it, the end of the profile. So uh, there was a Bob Orton Jr., Mr. Knoxville, and Gorgeous George Jr. In, on that screen in Studio B. So Bob and Rob, they went to the set. Joe LaDuke showed up out there with him, and uh, they stood behind Les because there was an unidentified guy at the desk sitting with Les, and he had some paperwork on the desk in front of him. And uh, Les began the interview by introducing the chairman of the Tennessee State Athletic Commission. Hmm. And the gentleman introduced himself to Robert, to Bob, and to Joe. And, uh, and then he asked Bob to step forward. Uh, gorgeous George Jr. man, immediately. You, you can hear him. They weren't on the screen in Studio P, but he sees what's going on on his on his uh, monitor, and he starts screaming, man, uh, in the other studio. Uh -oh. So uh, so Bob steps up, uh, and the gentleman slid him two legal papers uh, out in front of him, and he quickly explained to the audience what this was all about, what these papers were for. And, uh, you know, obviously, Bob's going to sign up here to get a manager's license. And, boy, the turmoil and the shouting man really started in Studio B at that point. And Bob signed the papers, and the gentleman took one of them, and he left Bob uh, the other one. And 
at the set. So uh, Les threw it now to Studio B because now he knew that they, they'd been screaming over there, so he's going to give them a chance to be seen. And boy, all three of them were standing there. They started screaming into the camera at the same time. <laughs> you couldn't tell what any of them were saying. <laughs> and, and the studio crowd, they were going nuts, man. They, because they realized that now Bob has a manager's license and he is going to be in the corner next Friday <laughs> night. And uh, as I said, you couldn't understand any of them. And the studio audience got real loud booing so they could try to drown them out. So Les hung with it for a little bit. Uh, they didn't get them to accomplish anything. And then he finally kicked it back to the set because so, there was very little time left in the show. It was running short of time. <laughs> so Joe LaDuke, he, you know, he was hugging Bob and Rob, and, uh, and he looked right straight in the camera, and he said, you know, next Friday night, he says, we're all three going to be new champions in Southeastern wrestling. You know, and the crowd was already going nuts. And, uh, <laughs> and then Bob finished it off by agreeing with Joe. And uh, and then he shook that official paperwork at the studio group, at the studio B group, you know. And uh, and, he, and then he says, uh, you know, see you guys Friday night, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and then Joe, Bob, and Rob, they all hug each other and let signed off the air. Wow, that's a fun TV show right there. And it was not even ratings period on top of that, so... It just goes to show you that a good show is a good show no matter what time of year it is. So what happened the next Friday night, and what was the attendance? It had to be pretty big after all that. Well, George McCrary beat uh, Tony Mars. Uh, Al Costello beat the newcomer, Roy Lee Welch. But, uh, but he gave Roy Lee most of the match because Al Costello happened to have been great friends with Roy's dad, Lester, for 40 years. So, uh, you know, fans gave Roy Lee a standing ovation at the end of his first match, even though he didn't win, which I watched the match, and I was like, wow, that, I couldn't believe that. I was like, well, wait, he kind of got over and he got beat, you know, I and mean, pretty hard to do that in your first match. So Tony mm. Charles, he finally proved to fans he was the better man with a tremendous throw, man, at the end of the match that left the pro having to be helped back to the dressing room. I mean, Tony was amazing. He was really over at this point. And uh, he just kept coming up with these most unusual finishes. And, wow, he, he, he was something else. Uh, so Bob and uh, Robert, uh, they fought valiantly, man, in their match. Uh, Bob got cut during the tag championship match, and, uh, and so did Orton Jr. And at the end of the match, Robert had Mr. Knoxville in the full of leg lock, but the ref was down, and he couldn't see what happened next. Uh, Al Costello, man, he slid into the ring. I mean, uh, uh, Bob was working over uh, Bob Orton Jr. pretty pretty well, and uh, and Rob had uh, had to, had to Mr. Knoxville beat, and Bob and then Al Costello slid slid into the ring, man, and he saved their belts. He dropped the knee right in Rob's face, and as Rob laid helpless on on your back, when you had that toehold on, you couldn't move around, you couldn't get out of the way. And uh, Rob obviously let loose of the hole. Costello dropped another knee in his face. He left the ring. Mr. No Mr. Knoxville covered Rob, and uh, they kept the championships. So after the win, Bob Orton Jr. grabbed Rob up, and he threw him over the top rope. And then both he and Mr. Knoxville, they did a real job on Bob, who was already bleeding. Mm -hmm. you know? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but they knew he had to go back. He was going to go back to the ring as a, as a manager. Right. In the next match. <laughs> right. So, so Bob had to be helped back to the dressing room, uh, but he was scheduled to return in the next match to manage Joe the Duke. All right. So, but what happened in the last match between Joe LaDuke and the Stomper that was for the belt? Because, as we know, since Bob was already hurt before he even went to the ring. Well, you know, Bob, man, uh, you know, being an old Marine, uh, he wasn't going to lay down and, <laughs> and get rolled over, man. So he comes staggering out of the dressing room when the bell rang for the match. And Joe LaDuke was trying to stop him, trying to get him to go back to the dressing room. And Bob wouldn't have any part of it. So so he went anyway to the ring. And uh, Joe kind of got him by underneath one arm, had to almost help him to get to the ring. And then Joe went and asked a ringsider if he could get his chair. And the ringsider was more than happy to give up his chair. And they put it down for Bob to sit in. And Bob had a seat, man. He was he had still had a towel on his head. He was still bleeding from the match just before that. And man, his head was just hanging down. Uh, you know, he, he was in a lot of pain. And uh, you know, he wasn't able to do too much. But Joe Joe knew it, and Joe did exactly what he should have done when they rang that bell. He we went absolutely crazy on the stomper. I mean, that crowd went crazy with him, too, man. And it wasn't three or four or five minutes before Stomper was bleeding big time. And, uh, you know, Joe just beat him and beat him and beat him and tried to pin him and tried to pin him and tried to pin him. It was a it was a really, really great match. And uh, then uh, finally the Stomper got out and got into control. He got Joe stopped. And, uh, and then Joe started bleeding. And then Gigi... While all this is going on, Stomper's beating down, uh, beating down Joe. Uh, Gigi sneaks around behind Bob, who's still sitting in that chair, whose head is still bent forward. He can't get up, basically. And Gigi gets a steel chair and nails him in the head from behind. So, wow, well, that did it. I wow. mean, the crowd, the crowd was already wild. And yeah. Exploded yeah. With that one. Uh, and it got so nasty that uh, the policeman, started coming uh they stood normally back by the dressing room Mm -hmm. they all came out to ringside because fans were out of their seats they had their chairs they were coming to the ring Uh, so yeah it it was it was going to get really nasty and then so rob came to the ring and uh he went after Gigi because he saw him hit bob with the chair and uh about the time he got Gigi down on the floor uh, mr knoxville and bob orton jr they arrived at ringside and they got Rob from behind. And uh, Bob was trying to help Rob and they, you know, they were all fighting. Stomper and LaDuke, both of them were bleeding. Wasn't either one of them. Neither one was in the ring. They were both outside the ring. And Bob and Rob and the tag champions, they ended up rolling up into the ring and fighting each other in the ring. <laughs> the referee, obviously, what are you going to do at this point? I mean, you've got the two contestants out of the ring. You've got four people that ain't supposed to be there in the ring. So they started ringing the bell. They stopped the match. Uh, now, Mr. Knoxville at that point threw the ref that had stopped the match over the top rope. A uh, second referee came down. He just kept having them ring the bell to stop the match. Uh, then more wrestlers. Uh, Tony Charles came to the ring because he had to help Rob and Bob and he got followed quickly by the pro 
And, uh, you know, and it was just total man- pandemonium in that amphitheater. <laughs> Second ref, he got knocked out of the ring by the stomper. It, it must have taken five minutes after everyone was down at the ring before any order was restored. Uh, it was it was worse than any battle royal I'd ever seen. It was <laughs> absolutely crazy. Wow. There wasn't anybody in that amphitheater, Dave's in their seat. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> some Some from the grandstand out there. <laughs> Had climbed up the concrete wall and onto the ringside area. Uh, so no yeah. one left the amphitheater. <laughs> After all the wrestlers went back to the dressing room, no one left the amphitheater for minutes. You know, uh, I mean, like uh, normally people are pretty quickly gone. Nobody. They all were still there. You mm. know, it's it's kind of like the crowd at a concert when they they want uh they they want more they want more and they just refuse to to leave so. All right, that's pretty wild, Ron. How is how is anybody going to control uh, Joe LaDuke and the Stomper at any point? Well, I, I think I got an answer for that one, Dave. Uh, but but I'm going to hang on to it to the end of this podcast. Oh, so, all right. There you go. So what about the attendance for this incredibly wild night? I bet you did really well. Well, this one, we, we were a little bit unfortunate with this one. Uh, we had a little rain that night. Hmm. And it was the first time all summer that we'd had any significant rain. And it rained pretty hard until about 8 o'clock. Uh, hard enough that a lot of fans came in with the umbrellas, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that obviously probably affected the crowd. Uh, you know, it, it rained basically until 30 minutes before starting time. So, uh, you know, it affected the crowd for sure. But by golly, they just kept coming, man. They were still coming in at nine o'clock. Wow! You know, yeah. and uh, and it was still uh, up there close to six thousand, even though it had rained big time. Wow! So it was still a monster crowd for having rained. It was it was amazing. All right, so just below six thousand, even with the rain. Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty- yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty good show right there, folks. You're gonna brave the rain for that. All right, I think that. Why don't we, uh, I'll play the part of grasshopper and we'll take a cold drink and sit under the learning tree. So what was the question, Ron, and, and who asked it? Remind us and set, set that up for us. Okay. Uh, a gentleman named Jack Long asked, uh, uh, we recently lost another great one, Jody Hamilton, the assassin. Why did he appear in Continental as the flame and not the assassin? So uh, that's a great question, Jack. And uh, gosh, I loved uh, Jody Hamilton, and uh, and uh, just uh, I feel for his family, uh, for for all of his friends. Uh, he was an an unbelievable guy, uh, just a great, great human being. And uh, there's really several reasons, Jack, for this having happened. And and, and that is a very good question. And uh, when we started Southeastern Pensacola. In the spring of 1978, the very first heel team we had there was a team called the Assassins. Uh, they were two pretty good workers, too, a guy named Roger Smith and another named Randy Collard. Uh, they were both built like the original Assassins, Jody Hamilton and Tom Ernesto. That's who the original Assassins were. They were about the same size. They wore the black outfits. Uh, they looked like the Assassins. Uh, so... About six years later, it was it was about six years after that time frame, uh, after Southeastern had already turned into Continental Wrestling, I I wanted to have 
the original assassin, Jody Hamilton, that joined my stud stable, man. We were going hot and heavy, me against uh, the Armstrongs and his family, uh, me and uh, Jimmy was involved with me at this point. And uh, I, I had a I had some great talent in my stable at that point. Arn Anderson was there. Lord Humongous was in there. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Golden, uh, a big Russian, a uh, bald-headed Russian named Boris Zukov. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who goes on to be a big star in WWE, WWF. And uh, and uh, I wanted to add the assassin to my stable, man. That was like a no-brainer. So, uh, so Jody Hamilton and I had a couple of long conversations. And, and he brought up the fact to me that I had already had two assassins in the territory years earlier. And he wasn't really upset about it. But then he said, Ron, he said, I want to do something totally different than what I've ever done before. He said, I want to change my persona entirely. And, uh, and he, uh, so I asked him, what, what do you have? What do you have in mind? Hmm. In mind? You know, and, he, and he said, you know, I've always had the ability to throw the fire. And he says, I, I've come up with this idea. That I have a name for myself that I think symbolize, symbolizes that unique skill to throw the fire. Uh, he says, uh, you know, I, I want to be called the flame. And instead of the traditional black outfit, hmm. he said, you know, he said, I want to wear a red outfit that links myself with fire. And then he said, I also want to do some things that's never been done before. And then he told me about his idea for this tremendous video that uh, that he, he we 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 went ahead and did this video with it, mm-hmm. and this video has become famous on YouTube, man. Uh, so uh, when he comes in as the flame in the red outfit, he has a program uh, with and angles with Bob Armstrong, and he throws fire and he burns Bob Armstrong, and. Uh, after that, Bob came back and actually removed his mask, but nobody saw his face. And then he did this interview, this video. Uh, and the video was uh, the flame out in the woods with pictures of Bob Armstrong on trees. And, uh, and he had a shotgun with him and a bunch <laughs> of various revolvers. And, uh, <laughs> and he, not, he not only uh, set him on fire, this video, man, where he just... He just blew these trees apart and these pictures of Bob Armstrong apart. And he says, you know, what you did to me, I, I can't I can't forgive it. And and I only know one way to handle it. You know? <laughs> He's basically saying, I'm gonna kill Bob Armstrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna end his yeah, not just his career, his wow. life. But, you know, and, and that video, it set him on fire in Continental. And and it's still setting people on fire in YouTube, you know. I mean and if you've never seen it, people, you, you can look it up on YouTube. I think it's probably under the name Flame, Flame Shoots Bob Armstrong, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, so Jody was phenomenal as the Flame. And uh, he was undoubtedly one of the best mass wrestlers in history. Didn't make any difference what name he would have gone under. And he proved it in Continental because uh, he became a star again. But he didn't use as a name that he was famous for. He became famous again under a second name, and that's pretty hard to do for a masked man. Wow. Wow. I've seen the video, as a matter of fact. Every time I look at it, it's like, man, wow. So he not only looked scary in that red outfit, but his interviews 
were just as impactful as his appearance, of course. Another great stud cast, Ron. Way to go. All right. On Facebook, folks, to become friends with Ron on Facebook, please do not go to his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It is full at this time. Go to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Simply follow him there and automatically become friends with a living legend. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow Ron at Ron Fuller Welch. Super Studcast number 43, part two, is now available. It is another wonderful tribute that Ron is becoming famous for. This time the tribute is for his great friend Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful. Dr. D. David Schultz and Ron's brother Robert Fuller tell tremendous stories that give life again to the man known as Mr. Wonderful. Get this great super studcast now at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours, only $2.99. One of the best deals in wrestling. And Ron will not be doing a super studcast in the month of August. He should be doing the next one in September of 2021, of course. We'll tell the fans the subject of that one for September on the studcast very soon. Studcast fans, by the way, and stud fans, keep discovering how great the Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition 5 DVD pack is. It has 67 matches and more than 12 hours of tremendous action. Hundreds of fans worldwide have purchased it. It has a five-star review. If you can only get one set of wrestling DVDs, you can't go wrong with this five pack tnstud.com click stud store get it for only $39.99 and that includes shipping and speaking of the stud store these new original tennessee stud mask are going fast i saw one on facebook today a young lady got one and she said she is so proud of that thing she is just tickled she's got her picture on facebook they're exactly like the actual mask that the stud wore years ago and they'll hold up great even if you decide to go into the ring you can wear your piece of wrestling history today get it for only 40 dollars with free shipping at tnstud.com click stud store and ron's highly acclaimed novel is called Brutus. It's like being on a tremendous roller coaster ride with thrills never experienced before in a book such as the epic fight between bear and lion. The reviews actually tell the tale of what readers think. Of course you know that. More than 50 plus Five-star reviews at Amazon.com Brutus Novel. Get it there or get the uniquely collectible autographed copy from the stud himself at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store for only $29.99 with free shipping. And here it is, the first USA TV show ever with Gordon Soley and the stud is now on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Subscribe now and ring the bell. The rare review of each TV show called the Thatcher Fuller follow-up is coming this week and a new USA TV show will go up every Sunday at 3 
Eastern. This Sunday, don't miss the second episode with an entirely different group of wrestlers in four matches, videos, and interviews from 33 years ago. That first USA TV show last Sunday was absolutely remarkable. I've never seen one that I couldn't believe all the stars on there. I can't wait for the review of that first show. And then number two is coming this Sunday. This Southeastern Rewind channel is something very special. It's hard to top. So where are we going to ride next week when we get back on the Studcast? Well, I think, you know, uh, I'm going to do a follow-up to today's training with Roy D. Welch. So we're going to we're going to look further into that uh, Southeastern program that started selling in 1977. Uh, and thousands of fans in four straight, four different states, man, uh, just absolutely went crazy for these programs. They became a huge, huge, huge item and a great part of uh, the future of Southeastern wrestling. The war between LeDuc and the Stomper is going to take another giant step forward next week. The reason is, Dave, as you asked earlier about uh, how you're going to keep them in the ring, we're going to build, Southeastern builds, a real bona fide steel cage. Whoa. <laughs> uh, to hold both of them. Wow. And, uh, I mean, uh, we do it big time. Uh, it's going to be on television. We're going to do it and set it up and uh, send people out there in the day to uh, try to destroy it just to oh. see how tough it is. So, uh, you know, and I'm going to return on the card next week. I wasn't on this one because I had a concussion from the week before. And I'm going to be facing an old-time favorite man, a big-time name that uh, decides he's got a new gimmick for himself. I'm going to be wrestling Don the Fonz Fargo. Wow. You know, <laughs> and uh, also on the card next week is going to be the legendary Mr. Wrestling Number 2. Hmm. He's going to be making a rare appearance at Southeastern. We're going to revisit uh, next week. This one I'm really happy about. I'm doing my best to make this happen. We're going to revisit that Sugar Hole $1,000 challenge with Bob Roop and hmm. the fan from last week's learning tree. Okay. I'm actually in discussion with the actual fan that escaped the hole. And I'm going to try my best to get him on the stud cast with me next week. And let him tell the story of how he escaped Bob Rook's sugar hole and uh, got himself a $1,000 prize. Are you kidding? Wow, Ryan, that's pretty cool. So you've been in touch with the guy that won $1,000 from Bob Rook for, for more than 30 years? Yes, and I'm trying my best to get him to come on to the Sudcast and uh, <laughs> tell his story. So uh, that's what we're looking at for next week. I've really enjoyed this one, man. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I hope I can make that happen for everybody Obviously, I want to thank all the great fans I have out there for their support of Studcast, Super Studcast, and now the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. Uh, please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us today, and don't miss next week's Studcast right here. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.